turn to Genesis chapter 46. Begin reading in verse 28. Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan, they have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from your youth, from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, Put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Reading biblical narrative can be like an Easter egg hunt, or it can be like solving a mystery. You're searching for clues, clues to break the code of the text that refuses to yield its treasures too easily. You could say this very well of our passage today, a chronicle of how Jacob settles in Egypt. It's a text that moves at a pedestrian speed or tempo, 
And the reader may take nothing from it at first sight except the question, so what? But look a little closer, and you begin to see it with more definition. You can discern, first of all, a pattern of two encounters. Two encounters, one at the very beginning and one that closes the text. Jacob meets his lost son, Joseph, and then he meets Pharaoh, standing before the ruler of Egypt. And there is no doubt that God has blessed Jacob in his old age after a very difficult, a very hard life. He has blessed him in ways that he couldn't have imagined. Nobody could have seen this coming. Seeing Joseph was beyond his wildest dreams. He might as well have been raised from the dead. And as for having an audience at the court of the most powerful potentate on earth at that time, well, that was a tale that no herdsman from Canaan ever told, nor ever would be able to tell. Pharaoh's reception of Jacob's clan is very gracious. And you can see an air or an atmosphere of goodness um, breathing through this text. There is no animosity here. These people are of good faith. They mean well. And there is, therefore, an air of benevolence that breathes in the text, something that makes it very inviting. So Pharaoh's reception is gracious indeed, and the two meetings at the beginning and at the end of the text, they provide the context of the narrative, and they raise the question, can you guess? They raise the question, have they arrived? They are very well received. They get an audience with the king, and they have a very powerful very powerful supporter in Joseph. Have they arrived? Is this their home? And is this the happy end to a long story? Well, the author has left three clues. Three clues to solve this mystery. Three clues for an answer. And the first one is when you stumble, and I mean stumble across the bristly expression. Every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Detestable, abominable, ugly, hated. It is like a sudden burst of odor. Nothing pleasant, I might add. And it calls for your attention. It calls for you to ask the question, why? Why this detail? Every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And this is the first clue signaling the first lesson of the text. Separation. Not assimilation. Separation, not assimilation. The second clue is found in the repetition of the key term to sojourn. In fact, this is the governing term and theme of this text. The author uses this word three times, first in verse 4 and then twice in verse 9, as if 
waving a flag before you to indicate the central theme of the passage, this being, this is no permanent home for God's people. They remain sojourners, although they settle in Egypt for long. And the third clue is built into the most remarkable portion of the text, perhaps the only one that you will be able to remember tomorrow morning. Jacob blessing Pharaoh. A mysterious little detail. And this phrase, by the way, is also repeated, and this is how the narrator, biblical narrators anyway, draw attention to detail. It is repeated, and so this phrase frames the scene in the throne room. Jacob blesses Pharaoh as God's people pass through the world like sojourners, but they are the ones who bless even kings, for it is the greater who blesses the lesser. It is the superior who blesses the inferior. And so there is some irony lurking just beneath the veneer of this text And when you put the pieces of the puzzle together, Israel's settlement in Egypt that is chronicled here becomes a metaphor of how we live in the world and as Christians. Three lessons argue the point. Separation, sojourning, and blessing. All right. Separation, not assimilation. Separation as viceroy of Egypt, Joseph is the provider of his people. He takes care of them as God had planned it to be for the time being. But you can see from this text that Joseph, although at home in the palatial setting of the royal dynasty of Egypt, he has remained a Hebrew at heart. He's not been blinded or led astray by life in Egypt that was decidedly different from what he used to know from his clan or his father. He knows that the promise of God is with Israel and not with Egypt. And the history of God's people, it has only just begun. The settlement in Egypt was God's will for them, but it also presented challenges, and he knows it. He sees it. He had to make sure that his people wouldn't simply be assimilated into Egyptian culture. And so he coaches his brothers. Well, this is what you must say when you stand before Pharaoh. I'm going to take you five, okay? Now, you listen carefully. I'm going to tell you what to say, what to speak before the king. Joseph wants them to be separate and to live separate from the Egyptians in the pasture land of Goshen. Knowing. And here is this bumpy, bristly phrase. Knowing that every shepherd is an anathema to the Egyptians. An abomination. Now I can't tell you exactly why they detested shepherds so much. 
There are some things that you detest or do not like, and you would not be able to give a rational explanation. Some foods that you like or dislike, you wouldn't be able to tell or to make this a general rule. I cannot tell you why they detested shepherds so much. I suspect that it has religious reasons, but in the end, nobody really knows for sure. But I can, I can tell you why the text includes this rhetorical bump, difficult to get over and certainly impossible to ignore. Israel had to preserve its identity as the people separated for God, or else they would lose their identity. They would lose their way in Egypt. And Joseph plays the card of this peculiar aspect of Egyptian culture that was known to him and to them, but not to us, to achieve the desired separation and to avoid assimilation. That's what he does. That's the rationale for his coaching of his brothers. And behind it is a very simple, timeless truth. The strength of us people of God is lost in mixing with the world. It's lost and dissipates in mixing with the world. You can appreciate this concept in Christ's teachings, who said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter by it. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The path of life is no magnificent promenade with an Arc de Triomphe. It's pretty small, pretty narrow, and there is no stampede at the gate either for people to get in there. They don't stand in line. And then again, there are no crowds on that road for only a few find it. No one is programmed to enter by that gate, and no one is programmed to travel that road. But we are all challenged, challenged to discern and to do the will of God each and every day, instead of being carried away with a steady and powerful undercurrent of the world. Now, is this too narrow? Too narrow? Does this not make you an abomination? Does not, does this not make you an anathema to the worldling who doesn't understand why you must be so difficult? And that is how it is. This and only this is the path to life. Lotte Rylan is a painter and he's painted a great picture of these two ways that Christ places before us, two ways to live. You have to love this painting because it has so many details. <laughs> and each one is telling a little story, the kind you like. Just a little story, very, very easily surveyed, 
understood, but something potent. Every little detail is telling a little story. And there is so much to discover on this picture of many colors and details along these two ways that are as different as they can be. The path of life is, as you would expect, narrow. It is mountainous, long and winding on steep slopes. And the end of that road is only suggested in the far distance and that great height. You almost lose the path. On the other hand, it is the kind of picture that takes you by surprise and you will be even disturbed. Disturbed by lingering over the picture's eventful features, each one telling a story, as we said, for the broad, crowded path of many people is lined with your houses and with your institutions, with fields and orchards, things that you think they shouldn't be here, should they now? On a road that promises nothing but ruin and destruction? For the things that you see along the broad path, they are neither diabolical nor are they dark. They are simply there for all of us, all people, to use and to enjoy. And still, there is a lonely path to life in the midst of the hustle and bustle of Egypt. For it doesn't matter how many people are traveling your path, but who is with you? That matters. Jesus and his word. In his company, it will get narrow. And it will get precipitous at times. Difficult, but the reward. And this leads directly to the second lesson of this text God's people settle in Egypt, yes? But they remain homeless. Strangers, sojourners in a foreign place. Three times the route to sojourn is used to highlight the theme. Verse 4 and then twice on the lips of Jacob in verse 9. The term is found on the lips of Joseph, uh, Joseph's brothers and of Jacob and in both cases, in exactly the same scenario, they stand before the great king. Who is who? He is their benefactor, and he gives them a friendly reception. It's the kind of friend that you would want to have in the world to make you advance, to give you a vitamin boost, to make you comfortable, and to make you succeed and successful. With a friend like this king, you got it made. Few people were even admitted in that throne room, but here they are. So the term is found on the lips of Joseph's brothers and Jacob as they stand before Pharaoh, the same scene, same scenario. And in the closing scene where Jacob stands before Pharaoh, he asks him, probably with a sense of wonder, how many 
any other years of your life? Jacob's weathered, wrinkly look has made an impression on the fine ruler in silk clothing. But notice, notice how Jacob's answer insists on the story of his life as a sojourn. And that's a word that the refined king did not mention. He did not use it. Jacob introduces it. And it is a slight correction, and yet so important and so potent. He insists twice on being a sojourner like his father's. His answer, therefore, makes Egypt yet another stopover along a difficult road that Jacob has traveled so far. He remains a sojourner like his father's even if he settles down in Egypt. I imagine that um, there were some among Pharaoh's court who, upon hearing of the days of his life being characterized as few and evil, that they took the few as a gross understatement. He was 130 years. How many of you can say, I'm half that age. Not many. And some of these people at the court of Pharaoh, they took the evil. He says, few and evil. They took the evil as an exaggerated claim. Claim of a man who knows too much drama, produces too much drama. Or a man who may feel sorry for himself, But Jacob wasn't kidding. His life was not a very happy one. If you can, receive it. And does it surprise you? He was not a very happy camper. Jacob, for heaven's sake, Jacob. Some of the evil that he has in mind, he knows he brought upon himself You know the history of his life. And some of the evil met him like a highwayman or like a thief in the night. There was nothing to be done, nothing that he could do. But all of the stories that God weaves in the lives of his people, they have some pain in them because they are patterned after a son, Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It should not surprise you, therefore, If Jacob speaks the way that he does and he chronicles his life, he summarizes his life experience in precisely this way, few and evil. And I know that pain has purpose. Although we are living in a culture that makes every effort at any cost to eliminate pain, pain has purpose. Now, no one ought to seek pain. But pain has purpose. We have learned, haven't we? We have learned that pain, the experience of pain, also enhances the experience of joy. 
Now again I say no one needs to seek pain in order to know joy. The angels in heaven have no pain. They, they are rejoicing in God. But they do not know joy the way that we have come and are coming to know joy in the midst of pain. They, I imagine, are not able to attain to the depth that the human creature is able to attain to when all is said and done in rejoicing in God. Jesus understood this too. As he said, Amen, Amen, I say to you, you will weep and lament. You will be sorrowful. He doesn't say, I'm going to be honest with you. You might have some sorrow. (laughs) He says, you will be sorrowful. And you say, no, Jesus, please. You will be sorrowful. You will know, you will taste sorrow. But your sorrow will turn into joy. And when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. Because her hour has come But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And your joy, no one will be able to take from you. Is there joy in the birth of a baby? But is it not also enhanced by the pain that goes with it? We have joy and we have pain. A bittersweet pill of life for the Christian because we do not profess to have settled for this world or for Egypt. We profess not to be at home, but we cherish a hope that is the source of true and eventually lasting joy, knowing that the Lord is always present. There was one Old Testament prophet, his name Habakkuk, who cast this hope and this joy, joy in the Lord, who is your strength, In such magnificent terms, memorable terms, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of or produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, you can see this, can't you? Habakkuk also walked the narrow path. The long and winding road that leads to life. He walked that path and he cast a bleak picture in an agrarian society, a society that relied on fig trees, on olive groves, on vines and fruit trees. They relied on cattle for a living. 
And if none of these things were there to be had or to be enjoyed, as is his profession, I still have the Lord. He would still have the Lord, whose steadfast love is better than life. And when you pour over Jacob's answer to, jo- to, to Pharaoh, you hear a man between the lines who knows that better things are coming. And this is also why Jacob doesn't drown in sorrow. But he finds occasion to give. He finds occasion to bless Pharaoh. And this is our last point. Hebrews 7.7 states the principle in no uncertain terms. It is beyond dispute, so don't even try to dispute it. (laughs) It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. That's the principle. Now, who blesses who here? Jacob blesses Pharaoh. That makes Jacob the superior. And this is the irony which I spoke, irony that lurks just beneath the surface of the text. Jacob is an old man. He's an oldie. And he's seeking refuge under the wings of mighty Pharaoh. Pharaoh is everything. Not even the famine can touch him. He has food to eat and he has riches to spare. He can be magnanimous. He can be generous. It doesn't hurt him. And so here is Jacob seeking refuge under the wings of mighty Pharaoh. But Pharaoh has no blessing to give like Jacob. (laughs) Jacob. He's the ambassador of a greater kingdom. And it's not of this world. And far beyond any glory that man or kings have known. And though only a servant of God Even a servant in the kingdom of God is greater than Pharaoh. God's people are messengers of heaven like the clouds, at times offering shade on a hot day, at times granting refreshing and life-giving rain. We pass through this world to bless in the name of our Lord. And Jacob did this in his own age and in his own way. As Genesis 12.3 predicted and said to Abram, in you, Abram, and then in Isaac, and then in Jacob, and now in us, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Still, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, as they go through the valley of weeping or the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. We ought to ask ourselves, have I been a blessing To anyone today? Have I been intentional about doing some good to someone today? And when we leave this world one day, who will remember us? Yes, she's been a blessing. 
yeah, he's been a blessing. And I must say, the world is the poorer for her. As surely as it is more blessed to give than to receive, you can't bless, though, if you are occupied with worrying. Worrying. In your heart are the highways to Zion, aren't they? This is the road. This is the path that you travel. And you will appear before God in heaven, the God of heaven. This is where your journey will end and you have riches that no king will ever have. You may be poor and you may not get all that you want. In fact, I hope you don't. You may be poor, but you always have something to give in the name of the Lord. Be a blessing. So be a blessing. And so that people may bless the Lord. I would imagine that Pharaoh was strangely touched. Perhaps, as Wesley said, his heart was strangely warmed after this audience. He thought that he was in charge. Well, he was. He had that. But the blessing came from Jacob, a shepherd man, and not in his league. What irony. And yet that is the way that God does it. That is the way that God works. And make no mistake about it. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. A woman died of cancer. She had five children, the oldest 17, the youngest 10. She was a believer, mm -hmm. and she prayed to God. Many prayed with her, wanting to be a blessing, having good intentions, wanting to help. And many pieces of counsel were offered and uttered. Some of them were helpful. Others felt more like striking a wounded soul. Everyone is an expert. Everyone knows better. You must have enough faith. You got to do it this way. This is the way that you must pray. Pray this way. That's what you must do. Here's what you ought to be doing. And like the friends of Job... They added insult to injury. And her husband, bless his heart, he had the courage to step up eventually. And he, he, he banned these sages from his house. He said, you will not come here anymore. You will not be given another chance to say this anymore. So you will not come here anymore. And after a long time of suffering, she died. Much too early, much too soon. And many questions remain to this day, along with a blunt pain of loss. But in all this, the Father in heaven remains with us, and so is his promise. The gravestone of the poor woman shows the words that she kept and she believed until the end. 
Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And there it is. We do maintain a certain separation for the Lord's sake and also for our own sake. Second, since we are in the world but not of the world, we remain sojourners for a better place. We don't settle. And third, while here, we are agents of God's blessing. So God help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the chronicle of Jacob's settling in Egypt. Text that instructs us how to live in this world. May we take these lessons to heart, Father. May we ponder them tonight and throughout this week. Indeed, may, may they be like a soundtrack to our life, to the road that we travel, not to the destruction of which Jesus spoke, but to the life that he promises all those who follow after him. And follow after him we will. By your grace, how could we not? In his name we thank you and praise you. Amen.